this year, as we uh, celebrate 11th anniversary, um, the vision and direction of uh, that we seek uh, as a God's guidance came earlier than usual. So usually, um, I wouldn't know anything, and I would don't want to know anything. And then when we have a solitude and silence at the beginning of the day, that's the time that I would seek personal guidance from God of my life, personal life, and church the second time around. But I still remember looking through my journal to 2018. Um, it was on Sunday, last Sunday, December 29th, we had a leadership community dinner gathering our place. Um, we recently moved, so it was like a housewarming as well. But our elders' family and our home group leaders' family and our staff's family and our missionary, uh, Boy and Cindy, had joined us. And obviously the dinner and just hanging out was great. But one of the key moments, at, at those moments we ask, what are you discerning? What are you hearing from the Holy Spirit? that our next step should be. What does 2019 look like? And those sharings was really encouraging. And I share the word spiritual vitality. This is what I'm discerning. And I, it hasn't changed. It confirmed over and over. And everything comes together. So in a way, it's, um, you have to wait on 10 minutes into that our spiritual direction is shared, vision for 2009, the new year. But here it is, vision for a spiritually vital community. To make it official, this is our vision statement, spiritual direction statement for 2019. To seek to be spiritually vital in, every, in our everyday life, being ready to follow God's guidance no matter what this year brings. And Psalm 85 or 6, as Stan just read it, before we get into the text itself, the whole psalm it is actually prayer for revival, pray for, prayer for restoration, uh, the three questions I would like to ask through the message. Number one, what does it mean for us to be spiritually vital? Let's define that clearly, especially in this year. Number two question is, what four hindrances to spiritual vitality should we be watchful for in this year? To identify that will be helpful. And number three, then how can we seek to be spiritually vital uh, throughout, not just the beginning of the year, but throughout entire years, 2019? So let's begin with the definition of what spiritual vitality means in this vision and spiritual direction. Number one, it means to be spiritually renewed by cleaning out our hearts and lives. One misconception about restoration and renewal 
in this day and age, and even Christian church, is that without any reformation, without any changing of our hearts and cleaning out, decluttering, some brother and sister said, that we could experience God's blessing. This is absolutely not true. Just by itself, we could experience tremendous the gates of blessing, God's grace and mercy opens up when we clean out our hearts and true, genuine repentance. That's what it means to be spiritually vital. Number two, it means to live with life-giving joy and passionate love for the Lord. I don't know how long you've walked with the Lord. You've been a Christian and church-going uh, Christian. But two signs of spiritual vitality, right off the bat, is joy and love. Of course, joy love for one another as well, but it begins with growing, passionate, deeper love for Christ, for our Lord. Do you have joy? Not the type of joy, not the type of joy that you experience when you buy a new car or when you buy a new house. But type of joy that bubbling and lasting. That you you get up in the morning, nothing changed. Your bank account is the same. Your kids are still going through a difficult time at school. But there is a sense of deep joy because of spiritual vitality. Number three, it means to be spiritually ready for whatever the reality of life brings us. Desiring to be used by God for our purpose and glory. You know that leadership community? Like, I kind of hinted that. I sense clear guidance of the Spirit. I don't know the second step, third step, but I know clearly our next step. And I, rep I presented that to our elders and leadership team without even hesitation all our, our, our elders are on board. Well, I, I thought they might think that I'm pushing them over the edge. You see, what we are doing, we are doing a number week three, starting this week is it week three, of 14-week fasting and prayer chain. 14-week fasting and prayer chain because of Nehemiah, study of Nehemiah and Daniel and their prayer was persistent and patient. The length of their prayer time was four months before they take an action. So we decided to be radical in our next step. As soon as we said that spiritual vitality looks like because of prosperity gospel everywhere these days, that, oh, they're determined to pray and God will provide a facility for them. No, that's not the purpose or goal of our fasting and prayer chain. Our, our goal is not to use God for our purpose, but to be used by God for His purpose and His glory. Do you know that? If you belong to Christ, if you are uh, belong to church body of Christ, not just the Crossway Church, but the universal body of Christ, 
God has purpose for each one of us. His sovereign purpose for the church. And he will be glorified. Nothing can thwart his sovereign plan. That at the end, the consummation of our salvation will bring glory to God. That in the meantime, the segments of our here, now, already, but not yet, that tension of our Christian life, we could experience being used for God's glory and God's purpose. There's nothing like it. Number four, especially for those of you who are uh, visiting with us uh, to celebrate and to congratulate our anniversary, I am deeply grateful, but this message is for you as well because this spiritual vitality is individual spiritual vitality. We're spiritually renewed personally, individually, which will result in corporate spiritual vitality. And I need to quickly add, and vice versa. When our church and your church, home church, will be spiritually vital, fervent for the Lord, growing love for the Lord, and there is a tremendous overflowing genuine joy. The people who are looking in, in to walking in your community will get ignited, ignited. The seas of fire will begin a new fire. So another cold coal. So even if you are going back to your home church and your home community, I pray that God will ignite your heart today, that you become hot, burning, fluorescent, pinkish, and even white because of the heat that you will go back to your community. And for all of us at Crossway, this is the picture that we're, we're picturing. Not getting a facility and that we could settle down and have a comfortable, affluent, suburb Christian life. Now, I think it's important for us to think about hindrances. I had several others that I thought, thought it through, but it all comes down to these four seems to be top and very relevant to each one of us. Number one hindrance to spirituality, the spiritual vitality, is distraction. Now, typically, if we put words into this kind of hindrance, the person in that distraction will say, I want spiritual vitality, but I get pulled in so many directions, so many good things, that I lose focus. Have you ever thought about when we're getting up in the morning? Just remember the typical days. What is the first thought come to your mind? Maybe your dream. But back in the old days, there isn't any, that many external distractions. You have to distract yourself. 
But what happens as soon as we get up, our smartphone is waiting for us. Everywhere you go, there's a tablet, internet. I mean, starting with me too. Whenever you go to places, I, I, I get panic when there's no Wi-Fi. Something terrible happened. What happened to the Wi-Fi? There was a one time that our Wi-Fi didn't work for two days. Our kids were going crazy. <laughs> Dad, take me to church office <laughs> at night <laughs> in order to read Bible. No, there's Wi-Fi there. And it could be your hobby, your business, so many things. Hindrance number two is spiritual sleep. Initially, I put something else. But I think this describes the best. What? Am I asleep spiritually? I didn't know. Because it starts with this concept. You don't know you're asleep until you wake up. Do you remember the time that you just were so tired and you were sitting on the couch and watching TV and you fell asleep and hours later you got up and then in the middle, middle of the night, what day is it? What, what am I doing here? At 3 o'clock in the morning, you sense loss of time and place. The danger of Western spirituality is that we think we're doing fine. We're, we're doing religious activities. But in, and yet, when you're spiritually asleep, you're inactive, you're in, indolent, you're passive, Nothing really moves you. But by the way, brothers and sisters, I think this is number one spiritual tactic the enemy has for our society. When you go to remote country of China or missionary encounter all these demonic things and uh, Strange spiritual phenomena, evil spirit. Happens all the time. But here, enemy's tactic, they don't have to use that because everybody falling asleep, there's no threat. But you know what? Once we decide to get up and gear up and wake up, that's the time that we become threat to enemies army. I don't want to scare our people, but I visited Chalk Hospital this weekend. I heard about one of another family's kid, under me it's Chalk, by, by that I mean Children's Hospital in Orange County, in the emergency room. One of the sisters experienced this anxiety attack. Some marital problem here and there. Why is this happening when we are fasting and praying? Because we are waking up. 
Number three hindrance is worldliness and idolatry. In this state, we will say, I know I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, but frankly, I feel so in love with so many things in life. So loving God is too hard for me. I believe that person well means, well meaning. And we should remember Apostle John's and first letter of John, his strong, straight admonition. Do not love the world or things of the world. If you love the world, you become in enmity against God. That's a strong language. What's wrong with fitting in and loving? Looking at the fashion or, or most trending entertainment? To a certain degree, I'm, I'm not saying that complete isolation, so living like Amish is a deal, but at the heart, what is our heart? What consumes our heart? What is passionate joy and treasured, treasured our possession in our lives? Is really the world or Christ? Maybe in that sense, these hindrances becomes the reason for spiritual vitality, spiritual awakening, renewal. Number four is complacency. I put complacency at the end because this covers almost everybody in that sense. Because this person will say, I shouldn't say this person, when we are in that complacency, we'll say, I think I'm doing okay. I'm not doing great spiritually, but I'm doing okay. So frankly, I really don't feel urgency to gear up my relationship with God. Spend three hours in, in library for seeking God? What am I doing? I have too many things on Saturday morning. So next time, next day, to serve God? Oh, I'm too busy with my business these days. My kids are involved in too many things. I'm doing okay. I'm re listening to devotional on my way to work. A.W. Chaucer said, Complac complacency is deadly for the spiritual growth. Complacency is, is, is like a person who doesn't feel the hunger after three days of eating nothing. You're sick. The person who has thirst and hunger, the first sign of health, isn't it? When was the last time you opened up the Bible and said, Lord, this is for me. Thank you. This is for me. You are speaking to me. You, you, you write personal love letter to me. 
my intent and aim for this message is not just bring the guilt. Awareness, for sure. And shake up the church and wake up, call, yes. But the last thing I want to land with, how? Let's seek spiritual guide, scripture's guidance on how we could be spiritually vital throughout 2019. <clears throat> Psalm 85 is a prayer, prayer for revival. So we could pray even the remainders of our fasting and prayer chain. This psalm is go to a psalm. The second uh, context, the background, is that this psalm was written during the time of the Israelites experienced 70 years Babylonian captivity, exile, and when they came back to their land. Nothing was saved. The third contextual background. The psalm, if you look at the Bible, is a song of sons of Korah. Who's Korah? Korah was the notorious rebellious leader with under Moses during the time of Exodus. Korah led rebellious group of 250 people saying to Moses, we are all qualified to lead. How come you get to lead only? The fire from the Lord came out, consumed 200 people instantaneously. But and yet, sons of Korah wrote this. Historic historically, sons of Korah became janitors of tabernacle, God's tabernacle, God's the later on temple. As they, they become a janitors, servants, they were the musicians and composers. They're the song leaders. So that's why a lot of psalms are written by songs of sons of Korah. But in itself, this is a psalm of hope and grace and mercy. God didn't wipe out these dead generations, but God showed mercy to sons of Korah. No matter what kind of background you have today, oh, I'm, I'm, I think God just gave up on me. Because of your sin, but because of your parents' sin, because of your family's problem? No, listen to this. They are now leaders of prayer for revival for Israel. Verse 1, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew your, all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation. And put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again 
that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what, the, what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. There are three things that I see that we ought to do in terms of how we stay, remain spiritually vital for the rest, rest of 2019. First word is recount. Recount how God has stored, restored you and your community in the past. In one sense, we could think about it. Recount, remember what God has done for you. The less we think only go to the materialistic blessing, we ought to think about specifically how we are pitiful, pathetic, dead spiritually, but how he restored us in the past. That's what he's doing, what they're doing right now. Think about, notice verse 1, 2, 3. The verbs are all in the past tense. He is recollecting. You did this, Lord. You were favorable, favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. We withdrew your all your wrath, and you turned from your hot anger. You did all that, Lord. What is he doing? Does God need a reminder? No, his aim is twofold here. He's pleading to God's mercy, his character. You've done this in your covenant, in your hesed, covenant love, your faithful love toward us because you've made promise to keep us as your people. Over and over, in spite of our wickedness, in spite of my brokenness and blatant estrangement from you, you restored me, you restored us. Why is this important for us? As we recount and remember, it will deal with our spiritual amnesia. That's, that's really our default mode. It doesn't take an evil person to forget what God has done. At that moment, we were so grateful. Thank you, Lord. 
but month passed, maybe year passed, as if we deserved it, or as if coincidentally that kind of came out. Allow me to take a few memory steps. Let me recount. I could, I could never cover all of it. But what I, what I sense is we sense the miracle after miracle at Crossway. It's a humble miracle to begin with. I still remember when we were doing Song of Ascent series, it was probably one-fifth of this size at the beginning of our, our uh, Crossway church plan when we were meeting upstairs. This one couple came in at week after week, and they're crying. Why are you crying? I didn't say anything sad. But it was just the richness of God's word. God spoke to me today again. I still remember a brother who contacted me. Can we get together? So I got together with him over coffee or something and you know his business trip was rough and he couldn't come back every week so he remembered this, the bare apartment room he was sitting there telling me stories about this personal revival I confessed all my sins I, I was just I was sobbing and, and my nose I thought nose bleed happened and all things were ha happening because my sin was convicted by the Holy Spirit. And I want to follow God. Can you send me your PowerPoint? And it will take a couple of hours just going over that as a quiet time. Unless you think that it's... Uh, you know, I was such a good pastor and, and they were impacted by all this. I was miserable. My confession is, I'm a personally driven person, goal-oriented person. I had still have that drivenness, recovering driven person. Twelve years of fast lane of ministry, happening ministry, growing like crazy. I took the free fall. And I don't blame anyone. Don't think that I'm a victim. Because when Spirit of God took me to that sabbatical, I'm sitting alone and read the Bible. Read the Bible. This is my expression. I begin to search for what's in my heart. I lift every rock and what's in there. And I felt disgusted because of the duplicity of my motive. I thought I was doing the work for the Lord, but a lot of it is behind it is me, my glory, my success. Of course, it's well mixed. I don't even know, I don't even know consciously. Brothers and sisters, I felt hopeless. What am I going to do with ministry, Lord? I don't want to be a fake anymore. I don't want to do this religious thing anymore. I want to throw everything away. The Lord took me to Starbucks of all these of all places because I didn't have office. 
And Starbucks is sitting there with one venti. Baristas, <laughs> uh, they didn't mind. I, I had a gold car, so I will get a refill for free. And venti coffee, I'll just sit there. And I'll sit there. Distraction happens. After 30 minutes, I feel like I'm wasting time. After 45 minutes, I, I want to go home. But after an hour or hour and a half, God started opening. And I was wearing headset to block out the other noises. I was playing John Williams, classic guitarist, not the contemporary composer. <laughs> Loud enough. There was one time I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and it was so good. And I shouted, yes! And I didn't know I was too loud. Everyone was looking at me. <laughs> it was time for me to go after three hours. I didn't want to leave because God was meeting there. That became holy ground for me. God restored me. My joy was there. And I came home. My same problem was there. Our kids were young and problems were happening at church. And week after week, I felt like a loser as a pastor. But God restored my heart. How about you? When was the last time you felt like you would forgive me? You would restore me, Lord? You would give me desire that the Bible tastes this good? Recount. Go back. Remember how good God was to you. Number two, the word is cling. Cling to what? Cling to God for your restoration and renewal through heartfelt repentance and fervent prayer. Verse four. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. There's a two sides of this clinging to God. The one is, is a, this is a great news for those you feel helpless. I want to, but I can't. I know exactly how you feel. And this is why they're clinging to God. God has a power to lift you out of your impossible, paralyzed situation. Make things you knew. He created you. He would recreate that desire for you. But lest we think it's a one side, one side of part of deal that God requires, like as I said before, the genuine repentance. Not only we need to pray to God, 
but we need to repent from our sins. Have you ever done that? I encourage you, and I'm doing that as well. In our fasting and prayer chain, we are asking each person to humble himself or herself before the Lord. How? Not by only fasting, food, or internet, or some other things. But by asking God to reveal our sin. God, the, the subtle things. And I repented. And I pray out loud with our boys about confessing. It was good to hear their confession as well. In our prayer meeting, there was a confession. Why? Why is this? It might sound so basic that you think you feel offended, but there are common sense that we miss. When you feel far away from God, you feel so distant from God, remember that. God's always there at the same place with same constant love and mercy. You are the one who drifted away. So when you become contrite heart and when you humble yourself, when you confess your sins and sins of your family members and sins of your church, God will open the gates of mercy. I have experienced that in my time. It's been only two weeks so far in our prayer chain, right? But each week, I sense this mercy. As I'm experiencing all these spiritual tensions and battles going on. Why do we need to cling? Because we cling to God. He is our ultimate joy and hope. The right source is God himself. Would you be... Uh, would you allow me to be redundant? I'm doing this purposely. Look at verse 6 again and 7. I think in our prayer time alone, we, sh- we ought to do this. Will you not revive us again that your may- people may rejoice in you? Put your name in there. Will, will you not revive Paul again that Paul may rejoice in you? Show Paul your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant Paul your salvation. How about corporately, the crossway? Will you not revive crossway again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show crossway your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant Crossway people, crossway family, your salvation. When you think about the word revival, restoration, what comes to your mind? Lest we think 
we have this religious flashes of bad examples or, or bad experience that's going on. I'm going to turn to none other than Charles Spurgeon. And it will bring focus for us. Charles Spurgeon writes on this psalm, in the middle of it, it just kind of stood out to me. He writes, Well, first, I rejoice that there is a God. What a horrible world this would be to live in without God. The house all furnished and nobody at home. But my Lord is always at home and God is better than his world. Beautiful as are the avenues of trees and yonder glistening river, God is at home. That he that is the joy of our life. I love to see my father's flag on the top of the castle and feel that he is at home. His presence makes everything so bright. And then what a joy it is to think that he is my God. Whatever I have or have not, it does not matter. I have a God. And that and all that there is in God is mine. There are many causes to for joy to a Christian, but the greatest wellhead is God himself. I can rejoice in his people, but then they have their faults. I can rejoice in his word, but then I sometimes tremble at that word. I can rejoice in God's works, but then there is a certain terror even about them. But as for God... He himself is perfect. And whether he is dressed in robes of war or comes to me with words of peace, now that I am reconciled to him by the death of his son, he is altogether delightful under any aspect and in any place. It may seem a little, very little thing for us thus to delight in God, but it is the greatest thing of all. Spurgeon is right. Brothers and sisters, I conclude with the last word, declare. Declare your childlike uh, trust and confidence in God who is your ultimate joy and hope for the restoration and spiritual vitality in life. Verse 8 through remainders of, of Psalm, verse 13, is a prophecy. Listen to it as a prophecy and see if there's something a little wrong doesn't fit if it's a prophecy. <clears throat> Verse 8. Let me hear what, the word, what, what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to his folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Did you notice that? Even though it's a prophecy, 
of the coming future, restoration, full restoration. A lot of it is in the present tense. You know why that is? He is absolutely assured that God's sovereign plan will happen. He makes it present tense. The righteousness will go uh, before him, but when you look at steadfast love and faithfulness meet, the righteousness and peace kiss each other. You know what the picture looked like? Four perfect character attributes of God contra seemingly contradicting each other. Actually, perfect harmony happened. Where is that happened? At the cross of Jesus, crucifixion, God's steadfast love, mercy came, but his faithfulness, his righteousness, the condemnation against the, the evildoers, anyone who is going against the law of God because of Jesus' blood and redeeming death. The righteousness and peace, same thing, kiss each other that way. What does it tell us? This person, one of the Psalms, maybe the collectively sons of Korah, declares their childlike trust and confidence. Not in the circumstances, but God will fulfill. That is actually the future of church. When you lead, read the land, it's not Israel. It's not, we, we should not read it as America or, or whatever the, your home country might be. It is refers to the church, church people of God. Old Testament back then, it literally Israelites and the people of Israel, Canaanite lands. And I think that this childlike in confidence leads us to two things simultaneously. The one is a wake-up call. We ought to wake up. Stay awake, wide awake. And the second thing is to recklessly abandon ourselves to trust God. And two passages. One, about wake-up wake call. Two, the reckless abandonment, abandonment to have confidence in God. First Thessalonians 5, verse 6 through 8 is a wake of call for us. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The comfort that we have is what God's grace can do for us. Second Corinthians 3, verse 4 to 5. Such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient 
in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. We don't have a building. We don't have enough money to buy a building. The rent seems to cost more than twice of what we're paying. We have a zero lead right now. And we have to vacate, evacuate our current facility by the end of July 2019. July 31st is our last day of lease here. Our sufficiency is from God. When we are spiritually vital, we'll be ready for anything the harsh reality will throw at us. Or even luxurious blessing that God might provide us without being entitled. So to, to conclude, let me allow me to sum up. In the year 2019, let's envision us to be a church and Christ followers who recount God, how God has restored each one of us and crossway in the past to cling to God for restoration and renewal through repentance and prayer. Three, declare our childlike trust and confidence in God, our ultimate joy. Then, and only then, we will be used by God. This is an exciting thing. I have, <coughs> I have no idea what kind of <coughs> change we will experience in sixth and seventh month. But I know, and I can be certain, as we are fasting and praying, <coughs> God will use us for his purpose and his glory. Every renewal and revival, uh, I think God brings a new song. And to me, this particular song written by Nathan Stiff uh, during my fasting and prayer chain, I start just playing those music, mixed the YouTube thing over and over, and it caught not only the melody, the second time around, third, third time around, it caught my attention. The lyrics were speaking to me. And the softening of my heart happened. And the God ultimate joy became just bubbling joy for me. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, greatest, greatest treasure of my longing soul, my God, like you, there is no other true delight is found in you alone. The third stanza gripped my heart. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, gracious redeemer, gracious savior of my ruined life. 
my guilt and cross laid on your shoulders in my place. You suffered, bled, and died. You rose the grave and death. In the grave and death are conquered. You broke the, my bonds of sin and shame. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, may all my days bring glory to your name. I'm thankful because I listened to this so many times waking up in the middle of the night, waking up in the morning. I could hear the ringing of that hymn. I want to share the joy. It really made me cry. So I asked Bo and Jimmy to sing this song as we close with this message. Let's listen and
suffered, bled, and died. You rose, breaking death, I conquered. You broke my bonds of sin and shame. You Gracious Savior of our ruined lives, we cry out to you, revive us, restore us according to your steadfast love, according to your mercy. Enable us where things are not possible and we feel paralyzed. Will you not revive us, Lord, so that we may rejoice in you again? That is our confession and our prayer and our utmost desire. And I pray the crossway will experience that kind of restoration and spiritual vitality throughout 2019. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.